everyone, this is Jen Kesnick, and you're listening to You Be You and I'll Be Me. And today I have Kim Lauby. Kim is the Executive Director of HUGS, which stands for Human Understanding Growth Services, as well as the President of the National Association of Teen Institutes. And you're also on the New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo's Heroin Task Force, and you have a family. Absolutely. So you got just a few things going on. Just a few, and, and, <laughs> and probably quite more than we have on, on the list, but it's, yeah. it, it's a great life, and it's a busy life, um, and it's one that is making ripple effects. So we, we take that energy, harvest it, and keep doing more. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on, because I love the work that you do. And I love following you on social media and tell, you know seeing what's up, and then every once in a while running into you at the coffee place and getting the quick four one one of what's going on. But uh, how did you get involved in hugs to begin with? Oh, it's such a great opportunity. Hold on one second. Okay, sorry about that. We had to stop for the noon whistle, but please continue. Awesome. So I was sixteen years old, growing up in West Hampton. Um, I was a kid who had tremendous leadership ability and capability. I just was leading very much in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Single parent home, couldn't follow my mom's simple rules. They weren't tough rules. I just couldn't follow follow them and never really found my home. I never found my place, that place where I was comfortable in my own skin. And and so I'd find myself getting in a lot of trouble, uh, both in school and home, in the community. And I found myself becoming that kid that you didn't want your kid hanging out with. Mm-hmm. So my mom put what was called the PINS petition on me, person in need of supervision. And it brought me in front of a judge. Oh. And, uh, yeah. So um, so I actually got into this work because I had to say, yes, Your Honor, no, Your Honor, I'm sorry, Your Honor, right. I'll never do that again. And, uh, and so I had to do multiple hours of community service. I mean, a, a crazy amount. And it was kind of community service that I would never be able to do it outside of school and our school worked with us to uh to allow me to do it in school and during that time during that process i was got to work in the office as part of my community service and a woman by the name of mrs block came in and she was from remsenburg she had a southern accent uh she was a very nice woman she asked me to hang up 100 posters for this program called hugs now i often when I tell my story in presentations, I'll say I probably wasn't that kid you approached easily. I probably had jeans that had all sorts of holes in them, not because it was trendy or a fashion right. statement, but because I we were on welfare and I right. had the hand-me-downs of the hand-me-downs. Uh, I probably, you know, just had this aura around me that said, stay away from a me. tough exterior. Yeah. And meanwhile, inside, I was just, you know, craving to be part of and be included or um, just to kind of feel like I belong. Yeah. And uh, so so she asked me to hang up these posters for hugs. And so I started to go around the school and hang them up. And as I hung them up, I actually read them. And it talked about going and meeting new people, talking about issues that were important to teens, um, learning to be a leader. And although I didn't know what any of that stuff meant, because um, I thought leadership was for the good kids, the shiny kids, right. the kids that the teachers always picked, I had no idea that I could find leader or that I was a leader. So uh, Mrs. Black suggested I go once an adult thought it was a cool idea. I thought it was the worst idea ever. It had to be lame, had to be not a good thing. And, uh, and she pretty much broke down every barrier I had, invited me to come, 
offered to pay, offered to drive me to Shelter Island. Um, anything I resisted to, she found a solution for. And off I went to Shelter Island. 16 years old, the only kid from West Hampton Beach, scared out of my mind, mm-hmm. got there. It was all the shiny kids, all the, all the ones yeah. the teachers, teachers picked on and uh, picked. And I just absolutely felt like I couldn't get out of there quick enough. Yeah. And in a short amount of time, an incredibly short amount of time, they did a couple exercises and I realized that no matter how my peers looked on the outside, like they always looked to me like they had to get it together, they were still trying to figure out this thing called life. Right. The same as I was. Sure. How to deal with stress, how to deal with doubt, how to deal with, um, you know, conflicts inside yourself or how to deal with peers or all those different things. It became clear to me that suddenly I had been judging everybody by how they looked on on the outside as reflective of how I was feeling on the inside. And and the truth was, they were no different than me. We were just masking it and dealing with it differently. In different ways, right. So so that's the long story of how I became executive director. I started when I was 16. That's great. Um, and I just feel like I have this opportunity to pay it back and pay it forward, and I work very hard to do that. Yeah, and, and really recognize that... Like you said, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Every kid goes through pain of some kind. Yeah. One of the things that concerns me today and what the HUGS program works to do is make sure that we have those those moments where we can teach kids, whether it's through our program on Shelter Island, whether it's a push into a classroom, or even just talking with kids in in, in groups here at the office is, you know, there's so much that we have done to push kids to be better. We've overscheduled them. We've, you know, we push them to get higher SATs and ACTs, and we're fight all everybody fighting for that, you know, that scholarship that yeah. whether it's academic or athletic, and that's all great that we've pushed our kids to that. What I'm concerned about is we haven't matched it with coping mechanisms, and mm-hmm. we haven't given kids the. Um, the right tools to deal with the stress. And so many of them get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Maybe they get through the homework they didn't finish the night before, often running to school at 7 o'clock. Then after school, for some of them, they'll, they'll go to theater. For some, they'll go to sports. And then they don't, till the end of the night, get home until late at night. And then in the middle of that, they're doing homework. They're doing chores. Maybe they need to volunteer. And so a lot of our program's work is... Yeah. And then they also have personal relationships with yeah. friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and all that, that to them is like everything, everything. Yeah. So add that to the list. Yeah. One of the things we find our kids tell us is that, um, there aren't enough go-to people. They, there just are not enough people that kids can even begin to put words on to say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And, and to have a safe place where they're getting clear, accurate information on how to walk through that. Yeah. You know, anxiety is up. Stress is up amongst kids. Um, I, I used to go into classrooms and, uh, and ask how many of them felt stress or how many of them felt anxiety and no hands would go up. And now I ask them and a hundred percent of the hands go up, you yeah. know, and, and, what I love about the title of this podcast is You Be You and I Be Me is one of the fundamental things we are so missing with our kids is we tell them we, they have to be confident. We tell them they have to feel good about themselves. We force that down their throat, but oftentimes we don't show them right. what self-love and self-care looks like. Or um, We teach them opinion. We teach them, you know, we try and 
impose our adult world onto them, but oftentimes we don't give them the space for them to just kind of breathe and say, oh my gosh, this is confusing. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with this. Everyone's trying to be exactly the same in the pack. Yeah. And fit in and be part of it. And, you know, it's like not always going to work out that way. Yeah. And, I, you know, is there a program that you guys do for parents as well to teach them how to help their kids? Sure. So we have more and more, we've been speaking with parents um, and they tend to be one-shot assemblies, one-shot workshops. Um, we, we do focus heavily on those transitioning years when kids are going from elementary school to middle school or mm-hmm. middle school to high school. That tends to be when parents are listening a little bit differently because they're afraid of that next big bad step yes. and that big school. And they heard that the kids could get anything they wanted in right. those schools. And so So parents tend to show up for that. Um, So we've been doing a lot of that. What we look to do over the next year, especially here locally, is begin to offer some ongoing support to parents um, through evidence-based programming, through, uh, through workshop designs, to begin to really help parents with the schools, because you can't give it away unless you have it, right? right? And so oftentimes with parents, one of the hardest things for them to, you know, to teach self-esteem is because we don't even know the first what thing about it. What does that feel like? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what does it look like? Yeah. How many likes I got on social media right. when I posted a picture of how great my kids were, right. you know? It really, you know, our young people are really not too far off from, from us as, as how we are as adults, yeah, you right. know? And that instant gratification and that validation of who you are from the outside in is really something that... I want to have our program at least begin to shift idea about um, that really happiness, really um, true love. All those kinds of things are, are inward out kind mm-hmm. of experiences. And when we, case in point, I spent a lot of time around the recovery community. I happen to be a person in recovery myself uh, long term and very grateful for that. They Oftentimes you, you'll hear somebody who has an addiction talk about how alcohol or drugs fill that void. Mm-hmm. And and I have this crazy idea. Of, let's teach young people how to fill that void first. Right. How to really begin to understand who they are and take a look at what their strengths are and even take a look at what their weaknesses are and how do we build on that. But really to support emotional health as much as we talk about physical health. Mm-hmm. And, and when we begin to teach kids to have emotional health, spiritual health, physical health. Boy, we're going to put some kids out there that are going to really change the world. Before they get to the point where they're trying to fill that void with alcohol and drugs. Because honestly, anytime you would ever see a kid, you know, in in high school or whatever, getting that to that blackout point or, Mm -hmm. or abusing drugs, it's because something's wrong. Yeah. And that happens so much earlier than... Yeah. Yeah. So we have some, we have some trends going on in the country and, and especially, you know, where, where we live, we actually, our kids tend to drink and drug higher than they do. And in, 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 then in the County, in the state and in the nation, Wow. there's some specific reasons why, uh, why that happens out here more so, uh, than other areas. But oftentimes we're missing this piece of, you know, when kids go out and drink on a Friday night, oftentimes they're just letting off steam. Mm-hmm. They just want to feel happy. Mm-hmm. And, and if we, you know, start to teach them different ways to feel happy, then maybe we begin to make a change in this. So, so kids are drinking less, but how they're drinking has changed. Now they're, now they're drinking, they're binge drinking. To, um, they drink as much as they can, as quick as they can, as fast as they can. Right. Alcohol contents of stuff is so much higher than um, 
than what it was in the kids' access to alcohol. Yeah. It has so increased. Uh, used to be you can only get your alcohol at liquor stores. Now you right. have gas stations and delis and uh, and and even your local pharmacy yeah. carries it, you yeah. know, your chain pharmacy. So, so we really, one of the things that we really hope to support here is this idea of how can you naturally get high? How can you really begin to enhance and foster self-esteem? How can you begin to deal with that stress that you're feeling? And what are some additional ways you can feel happy where you don't need to to choose alcohol. The other thing that's huge we know with kids right now is marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost equal. It's, it's, it hasn't totally caught alcohol, but it's almost equal. Um, and so that's, again, you know, oftentimes young people, anxiety, stress. Right. Um, it, it becomes, you know, a, a, an easy drug and, and, quite frankly, very accessible now. And as we continue the national conversation about legalizing marijuana, um, we certainly see kids just don't have concern for it anymore. Right. Um, even though uh, it's not the same marijuana that most of their parents might have smoked. It's mm-hmm. a whole different different thing and oftentimes is laced with, with other Something stuff. Something terrible yeah. that yeah. could so, ruin your life forever. Forever, yeah. And the other thing are the synthetic drugs that we are just seeing an uptick with, which are just leaving permanent, permanent damage. So... You know, so part of what we do is we want to just teach wellness and wholeness. We want to get in there and, and give kids all the tools to really knock their lives out of the park, teach them how to set goals, teach them how to reach those goals. How how can they begin to develop support systems around them uh, with each other to help support each other in their goals and where they're going? And uh, and the, the, the challenge with that is um, really teaching kids to, to support one another, to find that place where if... if when I help you and you help me, boy, what an energy that creates. Yeah. And how can we really go out and, and, and do some good in the world? And how did you get um, involved in Cuomo's task force? So um, so I don't stay quiet. <laughs> That's kind of, um, you know, in, in many ways, the folks that sat on the governor's task force were are high-end people. I mean, high-performing, huge agencies. And how did this little gal from the East End wind up on his task force? And... Um, I make it a point to to be you know to be the little kid at big tables. Uh-huh. Um, I just keep showing up cool. and keep talking to whoever listen. Yeah, um, people know what I stand for. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to stop our kids from dying. Right. I mean, just just this last weekend, over the last weekend, twenty two overdoses in forty eight hours. Twenty two overdoses in forty eight hours in Suffolk County. In Suffolk County, crazy. That one death. Um, the others were able to be reversed, but. Oh my gosh, you know, but we didn't, we didn't wind up with kids just doing heroin. I mean, that's, this is a progressive disease and, and if we can begin to, you know, alcohol is still our number one killer, um, in, 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 in the, the task force, as much as it's focused on opiates, we also are smart enough to know that this is about substance use disorder. Um, this isn't about just focusing on one drug because there are new drugs coming down the pike yeah. that are being synthetically made in different countries that are going to make heroin look like it was no big deal. Right. Um, and does it always stem from kids starting out with uh, like pain prescription pills? And then so here's the that? thing, right? We're, we're kind of led to believe that it is what, what um, 
I can tell you that anybody who I've spoken to who is addicted to heroin, who has found recovery, um, which is uh, not an easy task, um, almost always they say they simply started, you know, with a red solo cup in somebody's basement, 14, 15, 16 years of age. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, that alcohol is usually the number one. It it is the pathway drug. Um, Alcohol number one, marijuana number two. Uh, For some, there, you know, there are a few cases where kids chose not to drink or drug and then they got their hands on prescription pain pills and then it went right into. But generally, um, the brain was already conditioned wired. and pre- yeah it was already wired for for some Zeus disorder so so um although it, it certainly can happen oftentimes it was it was a culture of addiction that started long before you know the pain pills came into play yeah. the pain pills um you know the the they're they're all the same kind of high as heroin mm-hmm. and so um and heroin's much cheaper Right. And so where it could cost you anywhere for, you know, Vicodin and Oxycontin on the street, 20 to $80 per pill, a bump of heroin is 5 to $7. Right. And so uh, where folks might have started abusing pain pills, once that supply goes out, um, it's real easy to switch over to heroin. I think it's just probably so shocking to parents, though, thinking like, okay, Johnny got an operation because he hurt his knee and got these pain pills that a doctor prescribed to him that we trust. Um, and then that jump to Johnny buying heroin on the street is unfathomable. Absolutely. They can't wrap their heads around that. And in, in oftentimes there are good families, good kids coming, you know, they played sports. They were, they were really involved. They were, um, you know, so, so it is a very tough thing to begin to understand. Um, you know, we had this kind of perfect storm happen to us. We had a, we have a culture of addiction that we live in. You know, no matter where you go, um, you see ads for alcohol. You see, ad, you know, there, there's just this constant underlying message, even on social media. Ad, you know, unsolicited ads will will yeah. pop up, right? And so, so we've got this environment um, that is just, you know, the perfect soil mm-hmm. for this major thing like the opiates to come in and just take us by storm, you know. Um, Many of us have been crying for a long time. We need to do something about this. Um, I hate everything about the opiate crisis. I hate everything about it, with the exception of people are paying attention like they've never paid attention before. And those are the people we've been trying to get to pay attention. So, um, you know, we have this, you know, the casualties on the war on drugs is just really... Um, they're high and we've got to take a look at this differently. And if we're ever going to change opiates, we've got to really take a look at allowing our kids underage drinking. And that's a hard thing for parents. Parents don't want to step up to their kids and say, no, it's not okay. We teach our kids how to stay safe. Right. But what we miss is that we're setting a neurological footprint in their brain. Right. And and that's what we have to do. We have to delay that onset of substance use disorder. And people don't even understand that that's what they're doing. No. Of course. No, because it's just so norm. Of right. course. Of course it's I want of our my culture. kid. Yeah. It's what we do. Yeah. You know? um, of course I want my kid to drink in my house where he's safe and, and right. I don't have to worry about him. And, you know, and, and we'll take the keys because we did. A, we did. We've done a great job with teaching kids not to drink and drive. Right. We've done a great job of even teaching kids. I mean, we work with kids all the time. We're like, oh, I'll never do drugs. But alcohol, come on, Kim. It's no big deal. Right. Yet it's the number one killer. And, and um, but we love it in the society. Yeah. And so. So it really becomes about giving the kids the opportunity for their brains to grow and develop and, uh, and hardwire. Uh, their brains aren't fully hardwired till an average age of 25. Mm-hmm. 
two facts that I always want folks to know is that 90%, 90% of anybody who has substance use disorder began drinking in their teen years. Mm-hmm. 90. If we said 90% of diabetics had a Twinkie in their teen years, we would make sure Twinkies were off the shelf Absolutely. everywhere and we would never let our kids touch it. But we know that stat about alcohol. That's science. It's not some number we made up. I mean, it's been studied true and true. And the other sad part about it is that 90% of anybody who has an addiction does not get help. Mm-hmm. 90. And that is not okay. We're the only, the only terminal illness that has those stats. And that really isn't okay. But oftentimes it's just stigma. Yeah, and look at the, you know, even all of the commercials on television for antidepressants and, you know, like even, well, your mom's popping a pill to feel better, so, and they're they're allowed to advertise Mm -hmm. on television. Yeah. Well, you know, when we we became a culture, I I think it's something like out of all of the the pharmaceuticals in the world, the United States uses 80% of them. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some, we're so backwards about health. We really, um, you know, from, from our food, from what we're putting in our bodies yeah. to, uh, to how we're dealing with, with stress and, and even just positive youth development. Um, we're just pretty backwards. And, and I think that becomes part of this conversation of how do we really begin to, look at this from a health perspective it is it is our number one public health crisis out there right now and how do we really begin to change cultural norms and social norms in a way that supports population level health with this yeah um so that we then can create a healthy environment or healthier environment for our young developing kids that are coming up now and our recovery community, mm-hmm. you know, cause our cover recovery community, when you're out in the world as a, as a person who chooses not to drink, whether it's because you're in recovery or because that's just your personal health choice, the messaging and the amount of alcohol that is out there, um, you don't realize it until you actually start to stop and, and look at it. Right. And, uh, and so those are some of the things we need to change as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if people want to get involved with HUGS or um, know more about the task force or the Association of Teen Institutes, um, they can get in touch with you how. Sure. So the best way is always uh, email me, Kim, K-Y-M, at HUGSinc.org, um, or our number here is 631-288-9505, 631-288-9505. Uh, we have a great social media um, uh, you can reach us out on whether it's Twitter or Instagram or uh, Facebook. We have a great presence out there. And um, we are ready to launch our website any day now. So oh, that cool. could be another way. And that would be hugsinc.org. Oh, awesome. So. And that's coming soon. That's coming soon, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. We we love what we do here. And, and, and you know, this year alone, I think we, we spoke to over 25,000 people yeah. um, from Seattle to Shelter Island. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, and we, uh, we're going to continue to grow and do more and more because it's necessary. It is. It's, it's heartbreakingly sad to mm-hmm. see all of these families affected by, you know, either the overdoses yeah. or the deaths or whatever. Um, they're facing and most of the time I think so many people are completely blindsided yeah. not my kid and that's the other thing like got to find a way to be real and honest mm. and talk to your family talk to your children and not think in your head not my kid yeah. or 
you know, he would never do that or she would never do that. But I feel like kids have such a private life from their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, they're their own person and they want to be looked at as I'm a good kid. Yeah. You know, I want you to love me. So Mm -hmm. I don't want you to see this side of me. Yeah. So then everyone's not completely honest with themselves. But the fact of the matter is that chances are your kid is thinking about it if he's not doing it already and have the conversation. It's so important and so important to give them the tools. And and if we don't know the tools, and oftentimes as parents, we don't. We're lost when, you know, we want our kids to be happy. We want our kids to be part of the social norms. Um, But to really, you know, it's where parenting is a verb. And we got to find that time. And, and I appreciate a busy life schedule. I really you I appreciate, appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, and there are some things we just need to make sure that we carve out additional time for. And this is certainly one of them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. And uh, anytime you want to come back on, I love the work that you do. And I appreciate it so much yeah. for on behalf of everyone on Long Island. <laughs> but thanks a lot, Kim. Oh, thank you. Love being here. All right, I'll talk to you soon. So if you liked what you hear, please consider going to iTunes and subscribing, uh, rate and review if you would. And um, Kim left the message, uh, left the information for how you can get in touch with her and be a part of Hugs. Um, As always, work hard, have fun, be nice, peace.